0: You're listening to Win-Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.
1: And welcome to Win-Win, an entrepreneurial community. I am Ben Wolf, your host as always. And we're going to learn from our guest today how to make sure you're running your organization or business on what actually achieves your goals and not on what your intentions or what you think should achieve those goals, what you think should work. Um, And I would ask everybody here, we are now... YouTube, as well as the traditional podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Uh, so make sure to subscribe, leave a review. You'll get those episodes, great guests like uh, the one we have today and others in the future. And um, the more reviews, positive reviews and uh, subscriptions there are, followers there are on the various platforms, obviously that makes the content more accessible to other people as well. So encourage you to, you know, give back for the value that we're giving here and try to subscribe and leave a review. Uh, And with that, I want to get on to uh, introducing a guest today. I'm very honored to have. uh, He is the Dean Emeritus at Columbia Law School, uh, having been the youngest dean in their history and the longest serving uh, in the last 50 years. Uh, He currently serves as the Harvey R. Miller Professor of Law at Columbia Law School. And when I was in law school, the Harvey Miller tapes on civil procedure were my favorite, I think they were tapes, maybe CDs back then, but either way, they, they, were, they made Civil Procedure more interesting than anything I could have possibly expected for civil something called Civil Procedure. Uh, unless I'm messing up the names, and I guess David will correct me And if we're talking about somebody else. But either way, he served as CEO of the American Jewish Distribution Committee, the JDC, a century-old humanitarian organization, only until recently, uh, before coming back to Columbia Law. Uh, he is the author of the forthcoming book, Saving the World in Six Not-So-Easy Steps. And uh, you can find out more about him for searching for David M. schizer that's spelled S-C-H-I-Z-E-R, Schisser, uh on the Columbia, I'm sorry, on the law.columbia.edu website. And with that, I give you David Schizer. Welcome, David.
0: Ben, it's great to be here. Thanks.
1: And I I do appreciate you coming on and making the time for, you know, for for myself and and all the people listening or watching today. And um, I guess what I want to start with, with you, (coughs) excuse me, is what I usually start with with my guests is to kind of, I guess, give us a little background. You were CEO of a a very large organization and an old organization. So that's, there's a whole set of challenges that come along with leading something with a lot of history as opposed to a startup but um, you know, and obviously leading the law school uh, fundraising, just making tremendous things happen there. But um, I guess you could just give us a quick background on like, how you got into what you're going to do today and particularly at, maybe as it reflects or relates to, to, you know, to kind of the main theme that we're gonna be talking about.
0: So the truth is when I was a law school dean, I used to have guests come and speak to students and I would, I would recite their biography and it always seemed planned. And then I finally realized, based on conversations with them, and of course, my own life, that nothing is planned, right? Like we make a series of decisions at different points, and we end up Mm. uh, perhaps where we were meant to be. Uh, I'd say the best career advice I ever got was from Justice Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I had the honor of clerking for her many years ago. And in the last week of my clerkship, I I remember I went into her office. I said, this has been a great experience. Thank you. I'd be interested in your advice about what to do next. And so her answer was um, fairly vague. She said, you should do what you want to do. And I think uh, she was trying to avoid being, you know, having too much influence, but I didn't let her off the hook. So I said, Justice, what do you think I should want to do? (laughs) Um, But she then followed up with some questions that I thought were terrific. And they've really, uh, I've always kept them in mind and they've sort of brought me where I am. She said, what do you like to do? I mean, day to day, what is it that you enjoy? And so for me, it turns out that that, a lot of that is about analyzing complicated problems. I love the intellectual challenge of that. It's also about explaining complexity in a way that people can understand it. And I think over the years, I've come to realize that I am what I would call a cynical idealist, an Mm -hmm. idealist in the sense that I really do care about results and I want to feel that I'm, I'm contributing in an important way. But cynical in the sense that I realize it isn't necessarily going to be easy and that sometimes... Um, you have to really dig into details and, and uh, even make some choices you'd rather not make in order to get where you need to go. And certainly those insights were critical uh, as a law school dean, and I think especially in the time I had as CEO of a humanitarian organization.
1: All right, well, that's, I mean, that's a really cool story, and uh, I definitely hear what you're saying there. So so, so to dive into to what we want to talk about today, Now, obviously, you know, you're, you're, well, being a law school dean, the truth is, is is just as much of an executive experience as, as the, as the JDC. It's not, it's not, it's not like it's a purely academic exercise. So, you know, obviously there's differences and similarities between running a a for-profit business and a non-for-profit organization effectively. Um, I know there's, there's a, you know, so, Having in mind what we can, you know, maybe t- you know what's most relevant, I guess, for the entrepreneurial world and the people in this audience, is that uh, what are the what are the main reasons of inefficiency and ineffectiveness that are kind of endemic to the nonprofit world? Um, and I, you know, I guess so maybe start with that,
0: if you don't sure. mind. Sure. So look, nonprofits are close to my heart and close to everyone's heart, I think, because of the mission. But there are ways in which they disappoint us, and A standard reason sometimes people give for inefficiency at nonprofits is the lack of a profit motive. People Mm -hmm. running the the place can't uh, personally benefit from uh, financial surpluses. And so the thought is maybe they're not as motivated. And I'm actually not so persuaded by that. I think that the Mm -hmm. people who work in nonprofits are very motivated. They're just not motivated to make money so much as they're motivated to advance their mission. So for me, I actually think it's something else. I think it's much more about information. It's about the challenge of knowing whether something is working, some of the problems that follow. So I'll just, I'll give you an example. Um, Let's say, Ben, that you and I are the board of a for-profit company. And we go to the meeting and the managers say to us, you know, guys, we've got too many businesses. These two are too many. We should narrow to one. Mm -hmm. And So they make a recommendation, but it turns out that their recommendation maybe really comes from a place where they want to make their lives easier. They want to shut down the business that's harder to run.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But then we have a question we can ask. Hey, listen, before we make that decision, tell us which is more profitable. And if they sort of look down and look a little uncomfortable and say, well, actually, the one we want to shut down is more profitable, then I have a feeling, Ben, that you and I aren't going to go along with it. (laughs) <laughs> but let's say we finish that meeting, we stop them from making an unwise but self-interested choice. And we go, to, we go across the street because you and I are also on the board of a nonprofit. And lo and behold, we have the very same conversation. And the CEO says, we, we have too many things that we're doing. And so we really need to narrow it. And so we want to cut this one and keep this one. We'd love to ask the same question, but the same question doesn't work. It right. doesn't matter which is profitable. What we want to know is which is doing more good in the world?
1: Right, that's There's, the that's the profit,
0: and that's the profit in the nonprofit sector. And measuring that is harder. And the point is, because measuring it is harder, it gives people the space to make unwise or self-interested choices. So you have to stop that.
1: Right. So yes, yeah, so, as so I know, you took on a like a three-step process, or you had an approach, right, that you use to uh, to to get more, you know, to, to get more effective. And I'm sure there's aspects of that, that that can apply to people in whatever their business industry is. But I guess if we could talk more about that and, you know, I'm, I don't want to like go too many questions at once, but I'm also interested, like, okay, like having the right plan or approach is great. But like, again, you're in an old organization, just like many other people, they're in organizations. And even if it's not that old, there's challenges to buy in. So, but before we get to that, what was your approach to, to you know, to that, to, to getting effectiveness and replacing profit with something, you know, how do you measure the profit of a nonprofit?
0: So one of the uh, striking things I noticed as a new CEO is I had a lot of meetings. I had meetings with people who'd funded the organization for a while, meetings with some of the senior managers, meetings with board members. And I kept hearing the same thing, which um, I gave a name. And the name was the Bunch of Stuff Critique. And it went something like this You guys do a bunch of stuff. Seems like pretty good stuff. But honestly, I can't figure out how it all comes together. Mm-hmm. And another way to say that, Ben, is we needed to be clearer about our priorities and we needed to explain those priorities. And I think that that is a lesson that is utterly applicable in the fourth oh, topic yeah. world, too. You gotta figure out what you're good at doing. And do that and make it better, but not the other stuff. And so what I decided to start with was to create a new planning process. And again, this is something that every organization needs for profit, not for profit. Um, It it is, as you said, sort of a three-step analysis. And the idea is, how do we figure out what to do and what not to do? Mm -hmm. Um, But buy-in is important. So I'll tell you that um, I developed this approach not by myself, but with the people who are going to be implementing it. I had separate individual meetings with each of the people who ran a really significant set of programs, and that's about eight people. And Mm -hmm. in each of those individual meetings, I said the same thing. I said, let's do a thought experiment. Let's say that you have two things you want to do. We'll call them A and B. But you only have the money for one of them. How do you decide? And I was impressed because they were really thoughtful about the criteria that they were discussing. And there was also an impressive similarity. It seemed like people were thinking the same way about this stuff. So what I did is I took those meetings and I summarized them and I created a page long document, which I called at the top decision-making criteria for JDC. And I circulated it to those eight people and we all came together and they tore it apart. They didn't think that I'd gotten it right. And together we rewrote it. Uh, And then we had another meeting. And by that time we had our three-step process for deciding what we were going to do and what we weren't going to do. And the three steps are, first of all, How important is the problem that you're trying to solve? Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, uh, relevant to the for-profit world, are you targeting the right market? Are you doing it, you know, are are you going for the right things? Which goods and services should you be producing? The second step is, okay, so maybe you've got the right problem, but how effective is your response? Are you doing it the right way? Is it cost-effective? Could it be more cost-effective? Is there a better way to do it? And so then once you've uh, convinced yourself on those two, do I have the right problem? Am I responding the right way? There's still a third issue that every organization should address, for profit, not for profit. Are we the right organization to respond? What are our comparative advantages? And I actually mm-hmm. think that one is asked least often and is in ways the most important because you gotta figure out what you can do better than anybody else.
1: Right, it makes a lot of sense. And it's I guess what it makes me think of is something that I do when I, implement. I mean. I do some of this same type, same type of work in, the, in helping companies implement the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, is we take people through an exercise to discover what's their core focus, what are they best at, better than anybody else in the world, and in their marketing strategy, what are the three uniques, what are the three qualities that combine together set them apart from really anybody else, any other competitor in the world who may share one or two of those three strengths but not all three in combination and that affects the messaging and it's a filter for making decisions as you said about like what what we should be doing to get the highest and best use out of our limited resources um, so that's so that's really interesting i guess what I'm, what i'm hearing you saying you confirm if i'm right is that the way you're getting buy in is by involving the leadership below yourself quote unquote below yourself in in the creation of whatever the priorities are and if they're involved in creating it then you can expect that they're going to be bought into it as opposed to something that comes as a fiat from on high
0: emphatically yes and the other thing i'll say is that when you lead an organization you can devote 16 hour days to being as involved as possible in a lot of issues and you can do a lot a lot yourself you can do a lot but the point is at the end of the day jdc has 1200 employees worldwide, I'm only going to be in the room for a tiny fraction of the choices that people need to make. And the more we think in the same way, and the more we analyze problems in the same way, the more effective we're going to be. There's huge leverage in bringing other people along, Uh, Mm -hmm. not to mention the fact that they have good ideas and things that you haven't thought of, but uh, it is critical to bring them with you.
1: Right. So what, so if you had to boil down, I guess, for, for business owners, you know, small and mid-sized businesses, not, you know, not necessarily brand new startups that are just launching, uh, and not large organizations or large companies, but what would you say from, from what you've learned both, both through, you know, leading Columbia law school and through, through, uh, the Jewish distribution agency, uh, or like, I guess the main takeaways or the main principles that, that, are, you know, that people should realize are applicable to them and what they could do?
0: So I guess the first thing I'd say is you're never done. So we uh, created this elaborate planning process. We would start it um, in February and it would go all the way to December. And By mm-hmm. the time we were done, we did it again. And uh-huh. I remember the second time I ran the process, uh, one of the senior managers said, oh, we're not just going to use what we did last year? <laughs> No. The whole point is the world keeps changing. And so solutions that we came up with yesterday could be great. They could be exactly what we should be doing, but we don't know that. And we have to take another look. So the point is, you know, first point, uh, never stop. You got to keep going. The second point is it really is about the results. Uh, Good intentions are fine. Good intentions can make us feel good for a while. But if we're not actually delivering on what we need to do, then we've got to change it because at the end of the day, that's how we're measured.
1: What are some ways in the nonprofit world that you measure results? Cause there are, you know, I mean, look, there are people that, the truth is there are probably people listening to this show who are, who are in the nonprofit world also. I mean, they, they need to, I mean, one of the things you say is you need to run a nonprofit more like a business, not to say that it should be without compassion, but it needs to be run, as you're saying with effectiveness and metrics based. And so how do you find out if, if something's effective or not in the nonprofit world?
0: So uh, that is the, um, the, gold, the gold star question. Okay. Uh, but the truth is it's doable and it's gonna be different uh, in, each, in each context. Each nonprofit is different because it's really about the mission. But with every mission, there's something you can measure. And so just, just to make, give JDC as an example, uh, there are two things that JDC tries to do. The first is to help poor people And the second is to strengthen communities so that they can help their own poor people. Uh, And so in that spirit, one of the ways we could tell whether we were effective is uh, just simple things like unit costs. We spend a third of our budget helping the poorest Jewish people in the world. These are elderly Jews in the former Soviet Union. And these folks live on daily pensions as low as $2 a day. I'll say Mm -hmm. that again dollars a day right it's astonishing how poor they are it's very sad but what it means is that relatively modest sums can save lives they have to choose between the food that they eat the medicine they take and heating their their homes Um, people should have all three and it doesn't take a lot of money to help people get what they couldn't otherwise have gotten Mm -hmm. but one way you can measure effectiveness is you know, how many people are you helping? It was, in our case, about 85,000. Um, how convinced are you that they're needy? Well, that was really clear. I mean, without the help we were providing, um, I'm sorry to say it, but I think quite a number of them wouldn't survive. Um, and then the question becomes, but can you do it better? And we actually did make some changes. Uh, we figured out how to go with a or infrastructure. Again, run it like a business. But uh, find the things to measure. What are you trying to do?
1: And how do you know it's succeeding? Right. I guess, what about things that, you know, I guess sometimes, some, some organizations, it, it feels like, run programs based on, again, what should work or what it seems like, obviously, should work. I don't know what, you know, basketball programs for inner city youth. I don't know. I mean, it's, there could be things, you know, that's, you know people are on the streets, so get, get them off the street. I don't know. You know, and does it affect... I, I don't know, crime, high school graduation rate, I don't know. So I, I, how do you, I guess there's some things that are maybe harder to quantify than, you know, number of elderly people who have, you know, who we pay their heating bill. I, I don't know.
0: I totally agree. And the truth is, um, you need to have priorities, not just in what you do, but actually priorities in what you measure too. Because there are some things you can measure pretty casually. And the one I just discussed as an example, we had to know how many people we were serving and what we were giving them. Mm-hmm. But because the, the, the causal link, the, the connection between the service and what we were trying to achieve, make them healthy, keep them alive, the connection was so obvious, we didn't have to do more. But right. there are other examples. Another thing that we do a lot of is leadership training, because we'd really like these communities to care for their own Right.
1: That's a lot harder, right? So how, did so you, how did you, you approach that? So um, there's the easy
0: way and the hard way, and my advice is you do both. Um, the easy way is surveys. You know, how was the program for you? What could have been better? What could have been worse? That's cheap. You get it contemporaneously. It's it's good feedback, but it's not really what you want to know. Mm-hmm. Because what you want to know is not whether your prospective leader enjoyed the program. You want to know what they go on to do after. Mm-hmm. To The point is, you track that. I'll give you an example of one of the most successful things that JDC has ever done, and it was launched long before me, so I I take no credit. I just think it's magnificent. There's a summer camp that JDC launched with Ronald Lauder as a partnership uh, 30 years ago. It's called Sarvash, it's in Hungary. Mm -hmm. It became sort of the first experience for uh, people who were uh, from Jewish families, but they were hiding their identity. This was the communist era, it was not a Career advancing thing for people to know you were Jewish, and a lot of people didn't tell their kids. But there are hundred thousand Jews in Hungary, and so we started bringing them and other people from Eastern Europe, bringing the kids to this summer camp. And what's happened is that now all the leaders of Jewish communities east of Germany, they all come from this camp, and you can follow what they did. And you know, there's twenty-five Jewish community centers uh, in that part of the world run by alums from this camp, and so you know, like we invested to produce leaders and there's this huge cohort of people who are doing what we want them to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And there's, I mean, look, there's, there's also, even in businesses, there's, there's management training and, you know, it's professional development and, you know, is that just a good thing for PR for the employees or is it, you know, is it actually making them better leaders, managers, team leaders, you know, even if they're just supervising two people, but you know, they getting better at it. Uh, So, so it's, it, So it's interesting, you know, there's obviously the surveys and you could obviously you could do 360 surveys, you could survey survey people about their quote unquote superiors, um, you know, and to see if the quality is getting better. And uh, and, you know, and, you know, but it's interesting to think or have, you know, people who are listening to this maybe thinking, okay, well, what what else? And maybe it's longer term and it's harder to measure. What else could they be? What else could they be measuring? What other maybe more objective factors besides, you know, surveys? Uh, can can they use for that? I guess one last thing I wanted to ask is, uh, is it? I know in your scholarship, you know, going, you know, back off of the executive side for a second, but on the scholarship side, you know, you think about, you know, you think about morality and about and about other things. So I guess what 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 have your experiences or your studies or or you know research taught you about? I guess how us as leaders. From maybe a more personal or moral standpoint, or values standpoint, uh, can learn from what you what you're working on now or recently.
0: So I, um, my friends sometimes call me pathologically honest, and I am just a great fan of transparency and honesty. Uh Uh, And what it means is, when you're trying to lead, it is inevitable that you're going to disappoint people because you've got a group of people who. Uh, are trying to get the job done, they might have different views about what the most important job is or how to do it. And you can't please everyone. And if you try, you're gonna please no one and you're never gonna get anything done. Um, So what do you do? I think there is always a temptation in the moment to tell Ben what he'd like to hear, even if it's what I really don't quite mean. But you pay a real price for that because Ben is smart and Ben's gonna figure it out. And then Ben's not gonna believe you again. Right.
1: Uh, so well, in the nonprofit and in the law school, I imagine there's, there's funders, right? And you, don't, you want to be able to keep fundraising. So to deliver bad news to people you depend on is also challenging in its own way.
0: But you have to do it. And again, I, I think uh, at JDC, we saw uh, a huge increase in our fundraising totals in my second year. Part of that was because we did so much work to be transparent about mm. what we were trying to do and why. And we were perfectly willing to... Uh, Give examples of things we didn't think were quite where they needed to be, and we were changing mm-hmm. them. Uh, and at the law school too. I mean, we we were able to get people excited about what we were doing, but the way to do that is to tell them what you're actually trying to do, which in the moment might not be what they first thought they wanted to hear. But you bring them around.
1: Right. Right. That's yeah. It's. It's very. It's very interesting. No, transparent. No, I I hear that, and it's 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 hard to do. I guess there's like you say, you say things people don't want to hear, but but otherwise, I guess they feel like they're dealing with a black box. They just don't know what's inside the box, and so it's hard to trust something that it's just a black box. You just don't know what's inside. Um, so if you tell them what's inside, even though some of it's not all pretty, uh, they at least know they could trust you. Um, you know, in the longer term. I was in the short term there's difficult conversations, but um, but uh, it makes a lot of
0: sense. Then I'd add that it's also for our own good. And what I mean is early on as Dean, there were a couple of things I went along with that I didn't really quite believe in. And what happened is like anything, they prompted some disagreement. And I found myself trying to defend something that I didn't really believe in. uh, And the people criticizing it were saying things that I thought, that's right. So I resolved at that point that I just wasn't going to do that again. And if there were decisions made that I didn't agree with, it's not that you couldn't do that. Sometimes you you defer to the group, but you're, you're open about what you think. And uh, since inevitably in life, we have to defend what we've done. Let it be something you actually believe in. It's just healthier and better.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's, that's great stuff for for obviously me and and others personally um, and, and the, you know looking at objective facts and and objective results rather than intentions obviously is something that we can we can all do better at and in the e o s model that i I talk about and teach people about and and speak about um, one of the things that it teaches is that one of the six key components of a, of a business in order to be successful is regularly reviewing real data so that you're not operating on hunch or tuition or ego uh, so so it's certainly resonating with me talking about that, and it's something, something that we all need to remember and remind ourselves about more. And I, I guess just one last thing I would just as a takeaway from from what you're saying is is that constant focus on reanalyzing things, not taking it for granted. I mean, let's say you determine that these 12 metrics are the key ones that you need to look at in your business now. But next year, if the priorities of the business change, if the goals change, the market changes, those might not all be important anymore. And there might be other things that are really important that you're not really looking at anymore. And so to constantly be evolving uh, evolving that, like like everything else, I mean, like like the priorities themselves, um, just makes a lot of sense.
0: Emphatically, yes. And it has the added advantage that it keeps it interesting, right? Like if you figured right. it all out two years ago, right. why are you still doing this job? But the reality is if if you're using the answers you came up with two years ago and you haven't looked at them again, I almost guarantee you that you're missing. Right.
1: Right. And it does. Yeah. Many of them may be the same, but if you don't, if you don't actually ask the question, then you won't. You you won't. You won't know. And you it might be very might very well be that some of the things at least are are, are no longer uh, are no longer the best. And you know, and you're just kind of going uh, going really fast in the wrong direction at this point. Exactly right. I agree. But uh, anyway, thank you very much for everything you shared today. And we uh, appreciate you coming on.
0: Pleasure, Ben. Thank you. Thanks so
1: much. Thank you. And uh, we'll see everybody else on the other side. Thanks.
0: You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolfe.